Welcome to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm Jewel Schmitz, accompanied by James Jackson and Jake Galley. Guys, how you doing today? I'm all right, man. I'm, well. I'm hype. I'm yep. excited. Good Let's to do hear. It. Here's a fact straight at you. Since 1996, only three teams have won the finals after losing game one of their opening series. The Spurs in 03, 05, and 07 are all three teams. Right. I guess that means Greg if you're the Popovich, yeah, right. if you're the Sixers, Nuggets, or Raptors, that you're not going to win your opening series or go on to the finals, which all of those three teams have aspirations for. But we'll start with the hometown Sixers, which at the end of Game One, Jake, say it with me. At I'm the not end, going to say at it the with end you. of I know Game you're One. Say I'm not saying it. They were looking shaky, baby. No, they but they, Game oh, One, they were. But. The Game One, they were, but they bounced back beautifully and won Game Two on their home court. It was huge. Um, they're one on one, one on one on the road in the same scenario as they faced last year with the Heat, and you know that they won the first. I'm going to ask you boys year. something really quick. Go ahead. What would be one word to describe Game One? If you had to describe Game One in one word, what would it be? Embarrassing. I mean, that was kind of the Sixers' chance to come out and say, all right, look, we're the new force in the East. There's no LeBron for the first time sure. in since like Joel Embiid was born. I mean, it's been forever right. since LeBron has not been at the top of the East, and they come out and they fall flat on their face. The things that have plagued them all season continue to plague them. D'Angelo Russell, Dinwiddie just absolutely demolished their guards. And, I mean, in the second game, luckily they turn it around, but opening up, oh, James, what about you? I, I, I guess I would go two words and, like, not shocking because the way the Sixers lost was the way the Sixers lose to many teams, especially the Nets, and that was defensive guard play. Like, absolutely killed the Sixers. Russell and Dibwitty average a combined 43 points a game against the Sixers against every other team that were down to 37 points per game. Like, the Sixers really cannot figure out how to guard elite guards on the other team. And me and you have talked about this before, Jake. It's almost like it is what it is at this point, right? Like, it's almost can't be fixed. They're going to find T.J. McConnell, laugh. They're going to find J.J. Redick, laugh, on defense and exploit that exploit that matchup. Well, it's funny you mentioned T.J. Brett Brown finally did what a lot of Sixers fans have been calling for and pulled T.J. from the lineup, pulled Jonathan Simmons from that the lineup in Game 2. That James Ennis got some major run, and it worked. I mean, they were much better in Game 2, partially because it's hard to, you know, you're at home, you have to pick up one. And I don't think the Sixers were going about to drop both of those. They come out. Brett Brown uh, apparently gave a very rousing speech during halftime, cursing, which Brett Brown doesn't do That's often. Get some people hype. And, a, little, and a Boston accent, too. It was probably funny. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Butler loved it. But there had to be something done. It's good to see that Brett Brown had Ben Simmons more engaged in that second game. He had Joel Embiid reigned in. Embiid didn't take a three. Embiid, they let Embiid shoot in that first game. And he was clanking them, and that and comes out and absolutely domi- Iowa dominates in the time that he was out there, which is still, we'll talk about that. It's yeah. not, not enough. It's got to rack it So up. my word would be disheveled. Well, that's a good word. On and off in the court. It's an SAT word. Uh, it's an SAT word. I can't mm-hmm. say I did too well in my SAT, but here I am. <laughs> Go ahead. Nonetheless, um, both on and off the court, I think we all know what it was has been going on in Philadelphia between the drama on and off the court. It seems to be that Brett Brown doesn't quite have a grasp on this team at the respect level. That. I would agree with that. Especially the new especially like the new look Sixers team. Like the Sixers acquired a wealth of talent very quickly, and then after they did that, that talent only played together for what thirteen games. They need time to adapt. Something like that. I completely agree. So, and, what would make you think that? Well, are, are you referring to the article that came out from I think it's Chris Sheridan, which details Brett Brown having zero control of the team, Ben Simmons taking games off because he felt like it. 
To me, that's coming out at this point in the season against a New York team from a New York reporter. Yeah, I don't know how much truth there is. Stuff like that that would have been. I mean, I I don't know. Right now, at least, I don't think the Sixers can worry about it. It's hard for me to believe there's not some truth to it, but the timing of it is suspicious. So that. Like what I'm gonna say. If those yeah. problems were happening, they were happening all year, sure. and that would have right, someone would have told us about that midway through the season, not held it in their back pocket and used it now for towards ammunition. They're using it as ammunition. Took the yeah, words right out of my mouth. But I do think, to Jules' point, that Brett Brown, and to your point too, Jake, that Brett Brown has reigned in this team a little bit because not only are they looking better, but they're being more efficient. Joel Embiid not taking threes. And Ben Simmons came out in game two. Like, that was the difference to me between game one and game two is how Ben Simmons and Embiid came out and their shot selection. Not just being aggressive, but their shot selection. I mean, in game one, they combined nine for 24 from the field abysmal. And in game two, 16 for 23. A much better shooting percentage, but, yo, it still worries me that combined they only took 23 shots. And shooting... Just real quick, it was one of their main issues. They were actually had a historically bad performance in game one, only hitting three of 25 from three-point land. I don't care who you play. You could play a non-playoff team. If you're shooting three of 25, you're not going to win a lot of games. I don't put the game one squarely What's on that, 12% Brown. from the outside? It's, yeah, what it is, is <laughs> really bad. That, Look, I'm, I'm a journalism yeah. major. I can't do that quick, Matt. Okay, but but here's bad. the thing. Is nine for 23 in game two much better? It's somewhat of an improvement. It's somewhat, it's I guess statistically an improvement, but that's not it's not leaps so and bounds. Shooting better. at a higher clip, you're it's correct. not. And, and who does that point to? It don't. It doesn't only point to JJ Redick. Like Tobias Harris, someone's got to go shake Tobias Harris, wake him up, let him know that like we need you in the series, especially if you're getting 24 minutes and then 21 minutes out of Embiid, which is a whole other issue, by the way, that your best player is playing less than 30 minutes in the playoffs, less than 25 minutes in the playoffs. But someone's got to go shake Toby over there in the corner and say, "Hey, bro, that that 49% you were shooting in the regular season, we might need we might need that right about now." So, guys. All this talk around Embiid, it's got me a little worried. Are the Sixers relying too much on Joel Embiid? I understand he's the monumental subject of the team, and I get that. But is that a good or a bad thing, do you think? Because, I mean, the, the man's fragile. He gets hurt. Right he now, I mean, the man is fragile. The he's man, fragile. Boy, he's always been fragile, and that's I. what it sounds like is that that's not going to change. Right knee tendonitis is what is bouncing around what he has uh, or knee tendonitis, and that's not something that goes away. There's really nothing you can do about that. However, they're left with no other choice. Joel Embiid is probably the best two-way player in the NBA, certainly the best two-way big in the NBA. When he's on the floor, they are a much better team than when he is off it. Uh, True, they are a much better team, but when he's off the floor, they space I, I think they space much better when he's off the floor. Because one, Ben Simmons can't play on the perimeter. So when he's off the floor and Ben Simmons is on the floor, it allows Ben Simmons to actually be in the lane and peruse the lane. When they're both on the floor and Ben Simmons has to go in the lane because, let's face it, he's useless beyond 10 feet. You're right. shaking your head or nodding your head, Jake, because you know that's true. He's pretty much useless beyond 10 feet from the basket. So when he goes into the lane, it kind of like pushes Joel Embiid out towards the perimeter, which is why he's there so much for three-point opportunities. He also gets really tired in the third quarter. Like, Embiid loses gas towards the end of the third quarter going into the fourth. And that's exacerbated by the fact that he's missed so many games. Mm. Because of this injury, he loses his conditioning and then will go out there and look sluggish. I'm not disagreeing uh, about that. Embiid's second in the NBA in usage rate as well. But what I look at in terms of the shooting, you mentioned Tobias Harris. It all kind of feeds back to Ben Simmons of what he can and can't do. When Ben Simmons is playing well... 
How about this stat? When he has a triple-double, the Sixers are 18-6. and six, And that has a lot to do with him creating for other people rather than when teams are Ding him up. It really is reliant on his teammates trying to get him good looks because he has so many limits. And it went... When he comes out hot, when he comes out aggressive, he can establish that a lot easier because he can get his scoring rhythm. It's harder for Ben Simmons to establish a scoring rhythm than it is for him to establish a facilitating rhythm or a rebounding rhythm. So if he can get that cemented early and say, I've got my rhythm, I'm going to the basket, that allows him to really hone in on other areas of this game because if he can, if he doesn't establish that scoring rhythm at the very beginning of the game, it gets lost. Uh, another team who struggled were the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors 1-9 in, in Game 1s in the Kyle Lowry era. Kyle Lowry in the playoffs shaky baby that poor guy i mean look nova guy local guy love the cats but i i I hate doing this to him but you might as well sit him in game ones i mean he has been abysmal year after year and the raptors suffer from it the raptors are one in nine in the kyle lowry era in game ones and most of that if not all of that have become when they're a one two or three seed which means they're playing significantly worse teams than them and they can't. They've got it done one time. What did he finish with? Twenty-two one. points last night. Was he, it? La- and game two was better. He ended up going like twenty-two seven. I don't have the exact exact stats. Here they are, right here. He ended up having twenty-two point seven rebounds, uh, or four rebounds, seven assists, and two steals, a block, a great performance. But when you look back to game one and what was the shocker, where the Magic were able to take that one, one hundred four to one hundred one over ugly. the Raptors. It's ugly. I don't think anyone expected that. And Kyle Lowry, completely absent from that first game, 0 for 7. He did add 8 assists and 7 rebounds, but in large part was not there when they needed him. And this, and this, there's like there's a, there's a bigger umbrella to the Raptors postseason, right? Because not only are they playing for a championship, they're playing for, they're like auditioning for Kawhi. They're showing Kawhi why he should stay. Right. And what it's going to take for me for Kawhi to stay is nothing less than an NBA Finals run. He's like, running nothing. on 37 points less. He's, he's such a versatile player. He's all over the court. Mm-hmm. He's all I mean, over the court. No, 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 no exaggeration. He's the best two-way player in the NBA. <laughs> and has pretty much been that since he came in and guarded LeBron in the 2014 Finals. Like, he's really been, established himself as that. Yeah, 15 of 22 in Game 2, as you guys were mentioning, 37 points. Kawhi is a very polarizing figure to me because it, it kind of comes down to who do you think he is. Mm-hmm. Is he the demure, quiet respectful guy who was he was for the first half or all, all but a year of his career or is he the guy who forced his way out of a good situation in San Antonio to try and force his way to LA to me I think he's destined for LA I think it's going to come down one day he's going to wake up and say I want palm trees I want sunny sky it's funny because when he when when Popovich drafted him when he got to the Spurs everyone was like this is like a perfect match right it's an even keeled guy with Popovich who's able to be coached, who plays fundamentally. Like, everyone thought that was a match made in heaven. And then all of a sudden, Kawhi woke up and was cranky and all of a sudden won it out of San Antonio, and no one really knew why. He kind of, like, played it off as a knee injury, a lingering knee injury. I'm going to my own doctors, and they're saying I'm not healthy enough to play. But you could really see that it was about – it was personal, right, that he, like, just didn't want to play in San Antonio anymore. And I guess now, to Kawhi's point, like, the Clippers look fun. Like, not only are – the Raptors auditioning for Kawhi, but other teams are kind of like saying, like, if we could create a good climate, a good atmosphere for Kawhi here, 
like Kawhi's gonna want to come here, especially if Give it's not LA. To stay, essentially. And, if, and, yeah. and if Clippers right now might be the match made in heaven for Kawhi Leonard because he can go to LA and not be overshadowed by LeBron at the same time. Have his own team with a good championship coach and Doc Rivers with good great role players around him like Landry Shamit, like Pat Beverly, and still get it done. And probably you insert Kawhi on this Clippers team, and they're looking at like a three or four seed in the West. And you could argue that the Raptors don't even have anything to worry about because they have the most arguably the most improved player in the NBA in Pascal Siakam, who uh, a lot of people referred to as Kawhi Light. I don't know if I'd go that far, but look, this guy can play basketball. Spicy P? Spicy P, that's my guy. 27th pick in the 2016 NBA draft. If you look at his numbers year to year, compared to last year, he's averaging 10 more points per game. He's improved his three-point percentage by 15%, which has been huge. And he's also shooting about 5% better overall. He's playing 12 more minutes. This is a guy who has completely changed his role on this team. Com- changed his role, and he completely changed the Raptors team. And they, like, stumbled upon this. Like, I don't, they, no one was expecting Pascal Siakam, Spicy P, which, by the way, is first-team all-nickname in the NBA. Spicy P is a great nickname. Um, but they weren't expecting him to be this guy that they can use in so many different ways. Like, he's he's that long 6'8", 6'9", player who has the length and size that can play down low, but has the guard handle and the shot ability. That, that's what it to, is. To play on the perimeter. Really his ability He's to He's a matchup nightmare. He's a matchup nightmare. And dribbling and the, his handle for how big and long he is, uh, they just kind of give him the ball and are like, all right, we're going to run you in some pick and rolls. You attack the basket. You know why? Freakish body. Because he's not in a hurry. Like, he, he wants to get his, but his game is not in a hurry. It's almost like Mopey-ish. Like, I'm going to get to my spot. I'm going to get there on my terms, though. You're, like, you're not going to speed me up. You're not going to rush me. And it works so well for the Raptors' offense, especially mirroring with Kawhi, who's also that kind of player. Not in a hurry. It slows their offense down. Shout out to Basketball Without Borders as well, bringing him in from Cameroon. It's the same program that brought in Joel Embiid, who we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Richard Mbamute doing a lot of great things over in Cameroon and Africa. Shout out Luke Mbamute, former Rocket. Speaking of doing great things, James, you're... Former team, the Los Angeles Clippers, put up one of the biggest comebacks in the history of the NBA. The, the Ironically, 31-point comeback, 3-1. Those two numbers just haunt the Warriors. I love every no second end. of it. I love every second of it. Um, like, look, look, the, the, the Warriors blowing that lead is very significant. What I think is even more significant and we have to look for is what that injury to DeMarcus Cousins is going to do to that team. Like, it really seemed like the Warriors had a 31-point lead, had a huge lead. DeMarcus Cousins goes out, and you watch that lead start to evaporate. Right. And we never thought DeMarcus Cousins was going to be such a pivotal and central focus to that Warriors team. To the team. Yeah, but we didn't know, but people didn't think that. People, You had your four snipers, you had your four all-stars on that Warriors team, or Cousins was coming back off an Achilles injury, which people didn't even think he might not play this year. And he came back and immediately was a focal point of that team. Everyone was very scared of them going into the playoffs because now there's truly no weak spot in their starting lineup. And then he goes out, and the Warriors change. He came back in January, right? And that's not too long off at all. It's the same leg, too, which is is also gives me a lot of worry. I mean, I feel bad for him, but you're right. It was a big blow to them when you look at down the stretch – while the Clippers were coming back from this 31-point lead, it wasn't like they were shooting the lights out. They had five three-pointers in that comeback. However, they went 14-15 to on layups during that stretch. So that shows you right there. They're getting to the rim at will. Lou Williams poses a lot of problems for them off the bench, 
And Shamit and Ch- uh, Gilgis Alexander have played phenomenally as rookies, which I, no one expected them to. And you know why the Clippers give the, the Warriors such a matchup? is because they have so many guards that can score. So what the Warriors love to do is hide Steph Curry on defense so he doesn't have to exert that much energy and he has all the energy for the offensive end. You'll see Klay Thompson guard the point guard. You'll see Sean Livingston come in and guard the point guard. You'll see Kevin Durant even sometimes guard the point guard. Before you see Steph Curry, because they don't want him expending all that energy on the defensive end, there's nowhere to hide him against the Clippers. So here's a stat. Warriors are 4.1 points better when Cousins is off the court than on the court. That's a surprising stat. Well, right? that, that, that has to do with pace. Um, I think they can run and move a lot quicker. They do have a better offensive rating, and we talked about this a little bit in the past. He is a better off. They have a better offensive rating when he is off the court, and I just think that comes down to they can run faster. They can kick out and shoot a lot more threes when you don't have a big fella who you have to wait for coming down the court. Yeah. But – it will be interesting to see. Now, I don't think the Clippers are going to beat them in this series, but I do believe that teams down the road, like Clint Capella, who do you have to guard him now in the second round? Who do you have to kind of slow him down? And it starts to create holes in this star-studded Warrior team that I don't think a lot of people thought were there before. And also, the Warriors have stated what they want their big men to be able to do three things, rebound, defend, and pass the ball out of the post. Now when you take Boogie, like Boogie's one of the best big men passers in the league. He sees the floor very well. And I think the Warriors got used to that a little bit, having them since January, especially making this playoff run, as they were able to move all these different lineups around, but having Boogie in the middle allowed them to have that passing out of the post and that actual presence in the post that you have to actually be mindful of and actually take care of and guard. You know what I mean? Before the Warriors just stuck, I don't know, like Andre the Giant in the post, stuck some random no-name bull in the post and let him operate, and people didn't really have to focus on him because what's he going to do? Just clean up garbage. Now you put Boogie in the post, like, crap, now we actually got to guard somebody in there, and then when you put your focus for a split second on the five, one, two, three, and four go crazy. And this is something that I certainly didn't foresee coming, but speaking of big men, Enos Cantor for the Blazers, <laughs> I, I, I thought he was going to get picked apart in the playoffs. I was completely wrong. 20-18 and 18 in his first game, and then in the second game helping his team, but it was really the Dame show in that second game. Blazers are now up 2-0 on OKC. Both of these teams coming off of first-round exits last year. Not going to look great on Russ's resume if he gets bounced in the first round. Well, word to, word to CJ McCollum and Dame, because remember remember last year that, that woman on Twitter, Jennifer, told them to win a playoff got Jennifer game? Jennifer out of here. They got Jennifer out of here. They were, and I, that might have been one of the biggest motivations for them. I like CJ McCollum. He's a good guy. So yeah, he deserved that. Philly guy. Went to Lehigh. Mm-hmm. Knocked Duke out of the tournament, and he's doing his thing now. I will say this. Both of these teams are very home center teams. The Blazers are a very home center team and have traditionally been that way since the Dane Lillard era. They really struggle on the road and like when when it goes back to OKC, you're going to see a different Russell Westbrook. Like Russell Westbrook is a high emotion, high energy player and he feeds off energy from the crowd. If the crowd's against him, you know, you're going to see a lot of bad plays from Russ. You're going to see him taking plays off. You're not going to see his head in it all 100%. When it goes back to OKC, I would not be surprised if Russ drops like a 30-point triple-double next game and they win game three. Like, I think that's that's what it, that's what's about to happen. Well, I, see, here, for me, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, just you and I, Russell Westbrook, when it comes down to it. Tell him, tell him, tell him what it is. is. Well, we have a saying that's called not my – NMPG, not my point guard. NMPG, if I was starting a team, you could not give me Russell Westbrook 
for free. He's a great <laughs> player, but when it comes down to it, his shot IQ is negative. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing in the fourth he's quarter struggling. of these mm-hmm. games. Yeah, he puts up great stats. He's a very good player in the regular season, in the first three quarters. But when you have to make analytical, smart plays, he's just not the guy, or he hasn't been the guy, and I don't see him gaining that skill anytime soon. And let's put it this way. To aid in Jake's point, Russ in game one and game two, minus 27 on the floor. Paul George, PG, is minus 11. Now, they play damn near about the same minutes, right? Russ played 40, PG played 39. But Russ is minus 16 worse than PG. One, because he was guarding Dame Lillard, and PG wasn't. PG was guarding, like, Al Farouk Aminu and those players. But two, it's because of the bad decisions Russell Westbrook's make. You have to look past Russell Westbrook's stats. I know we're a stats show, and we're going to hang our head on stats. But with Russell Westbrook, everybody, look past the stats that we give you. you got to watch his game in context because Jake is right. Like, guaranteed down the stretch in a close game under five minutes in the fourth quarter, you're going to get one of these options from Russell Westbrook. A bad shot, a mistake on defense. Or just a simple boneheaded play, ball kicks off his foot, he throws it out of bounds, doing something like that. Because his basketball IQ just isn't high. It's one of the reasons Kevin Durant. His last game, I think, was the one of the worst in his entire career. Mm. It it was terrible. It was was awful. I think he had 14 points. That was. uh... And here's the thing like, he's like, you watch, there's this one play sequence where he takes a three pointer, contested three pointer on Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard claps and like celebrates his miss, grabs the ball, and walks Russell Westbrook down to about 30 feet and then cashes one in his eye. Now, most of the people are going to look at me and say, James, why would you guard somebody from 30 feet if they're not Steph Curry? Let him shoot it. Mm, you're wrong. Because if you watch Damian Lillard through this series, Damian Lillard is living beyond 30 feet from the three-point line. He makes one, cool. He makes two, uh, I might have to put a hand in his face. He starts making more than two, and you legitimately have to pick up from half court. Oh, go Lillard, baby. That's part of that's part of the IQ we're talking about. Russ, what are you doing, my man? Like, you've seen him, and you could see when a player is setting up to, to walk into a three. You could watch it. You could see it. You got to go put a hand what's, in his face. What's most disappointing to me, and I'm not a huge Russell Westbrook guy, but I think it would be interesting for the NBA if OKC was a perennially good team going deep in the playoffs. This year, you're not going to have to defeat either the Warriors or the Rockets to get into the conference finals. Yeah, ain't that- They're going to knock out each other. One of them's going to prevail. You now have a chance on that side of the bracket to get to the Western Conference Finals without having to play one of those two teams. This is the year. You have Paul George, who was almost the MVP if he hadn't fallen off and gotten that shoulder injury. You need to take charge, and he just has not done that thus far I guess we'll see if he does it in but the like, games, but like, but like, is this it, is the year. But is it smart for him to take charge? When he tried to take <laughs> charge with Durant, he fumbled the bag. Like, yeah. we don't want him to take charge. It's almost like like they've had to rein Russell Westbrook in this year, and when they reined him in, they were the number one, number two seed in the West for a little bit. And then what happened? PG went down and Russ had to take charge. They slid to the eight seed. Damn near didn't make the playoffs for a little bit. And then climbed back up to the six once they beat the Rockets. I feel like Westbrook, though, is... Almost a necessity for the team because he creates shots for others, you know, in the sense of like he's opening space for people to shoot. And like that team, I feel like, I don't know, there's it's, something missing without him. It is a double edged sword because yeah. like you're, you're worse without him, but like can you really get better with him? What's you know the lesser what I mean? of two evils, essentially? That's what right? it is. And I uh, guess the lesser of two evils is getting beat in the first round of the playoffs as opposed to not making the playoffs, right? Well, there's a stat that they always run out there where it's like Westbrook when he shoots less than 19 times and. <laughs> They're a really great record, and then it'll be when he shoots greater than 20 times and they have a terrible record. It, to me, it's as simple as he is athletic enough. 
to get wherever he wants to on the court. As a coach and as a player, especially as a point guard, you need to now break it down scientifically, possession in and possession out, and this is part of being a great player, to where you can now be the leader of of that chess match. Mm -hmm. Right now, Westbrook is just kind of a pawn in the chess match. He goes off and then sometimes will make a bad move, and it costs you. If he can start taking hold of and reeling himself back almost, he becomes a totally different player. They become a totally different team. He might not even be a pawn. Like, if he's a pawn, he's the first no, pawn. No, he's the well, whatever. He's the queen. Whatever you want to make he's, him, right? No, he's the first pawn in the chess <laughs> game. He's the pawn you lay out there knowing that this man isn't going to make it anywhere. He's going to get knocked out in the first move. That's Russell Westbrook right now. And it's funny because... Like, they might have a little coaching hotspot over there in OKC. Like, is Billy Donovan on the hot seat if he doesn't get this done? I I would have to think so. I mean, like what, like you said, can you get much better with you have two top-level all-stars? All, all NBA-type players. What do you do? Brett Brown's in the same position. If you cannot get past the first two rounds, we got to find someone who, who maybe can. can. My man's Brett Brown. He is on thin ice right now, and he has been on thin ice for a very long time. I think we can all agree with Which that. Which is fair. It's, yeah. It is what it is. But he knows that. He knows that, too. I think it's like one of those spoken, unspoken things. You hear it on Sports Talk every single day, all day. The, the man's not blind to the fact that he's on ice, which is why I think he's kind of biting his bottom lip, trying, attempting to lay down the law while he can, while he's in the playoffs. And, I mean, just for the fact that I think the team's more, as we could see the last game, the game game two with them being more structured, I think he kind of cracked the whip a little bit. He um, had to. He had to. He had to. He didn't have a choice. I liked it. That was like, that really gave He's got a fire under his ass now. It's funny the little, the, right, Jimmy Butler's problematic he ass. Love that. Love, love the chaos. And it's funny the little relationship that's developing. Can I tell you two? something? I've been waiting for Jimmy Butler to be Jimmy Butler all season. And finally he's here. Playoff Jimmy Butler's here. No, here's the thing. Jimmy Butler was Jimmy Butler the whole season until he got to the Sixers. And when he got to the Sixers, he kind of like. He frustrated. Yeah, he was frustrated. Yeah, he was and frustrated. he kind of like, you know, fell back a little bit. This is a new team. This is it, my team. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And then he said, at one point, he said to the hell with that. By the he's way, like, just, to, just, to circle, <laughs> just to circle back before we move on. OKC was 20 and 20 when Russ shot more than 20 field goals in a game and were 24 and 9 when he shot less. That is all you got to know. In the words of Draymond Green, you not Kobe, bro. <laughs> they don't love you like that. Oh, Kobe's the only one who could take volume, volume, volume shots. And maybe win. And maybe James Harden now. Take shots away from his teammates and win. Russ got to share the ball, especially because Russ don't have a jump shot like that. Mm -hmm. It's different if Russ is taking 20-plus jump shots and has a good outside shot. Russ does not have a reliable outside perimeter jump shot, which is why when he takes these many field goals, they don't win. And when he takes less, it's because other people are getting inside the lane and doing it. They got to utilize Steven Adams more. Steven Adams is a force down low, one of the most unmovable players in the NBA. Ask Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard hit a brick wall at half court taking a screen from Steven Adams. And I think they got to utilize him more down low, especially since the Blazers don't have use of Nurkic. Like, the Blazers cannot dominate the Thunder down low without Nurkic. I'm sorry, Enos Cantor can't outwork Steven Adams. It just can't happen well, that And that was the concept. And in that second game, Cantor only did have 6.5 rebounds. I think OKC finally was akin to, okay, maybe this guy can't guard pick and roll, which was always the book out on Cantor. You're right, losing Nurkic, I was kind of hopeful coming in that Portland would be able to challenge for that Western Conference spot without Nurkic. I don't think they can do it. I don't think they can do it. They're, they're susceptible to getting beat by the Jazz, even if the Jazz aren't going to beat the Rockets. But a team like the Jazz, that caliber without use of Nurkic, it just leaves uh, a big hole. Um, 
So, yeah, that's, that's just going to wrap up NBA playoffs. So. All right, guys. Let's speak some facts here. Karis LeVert. We didn't really like that. We thought that was kind of disrespectful, especially after the elbow he threw. Let's put this into some context. This is about Joel Embiid's apology about the elbow that he threw on Jared Allen, which at the time was a flagrant one, and I don't think it should have been upgraded to a flagrant two. I think flagrant one was right. But he offered this, like, haphazard apology at the podium and then laughed it off and said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, and then him and Ben Simmons laughed. And the laugh is what made it disrespectful. If you're not, if you don't mean the apology, it's immature. Then don't apologize. It's immature. You're not going to get any further no in one, the second round if you're being immature. Like no that. one, no one Boy, made my you. Blood. Like no one made you apologize to him. So if you don't want to apologize, don't. It's playoff basketball. It looks flaky. Right? Whatever, can but don't you, give a half-hearted can apology. Can you give me an example of a time that Joel Embiid was extremely respectful to anyone? Not never. That's what I'm saying. Don't start now. But that's his persona. That's yeah, what exactly. I'm if you're going to be confident is. about it, it yeah. That's and what I'm you're saying. You're authentic. You guys are right. It is very immature, but these guys are kind of immature in their NBA. Yeah. They're young. They're both very right, they're young. They're our age. They're our age. I mean, and they're they're coming into their own. They are both arrogant, just as is. You come in, you're already one of the best players in the league when you come in. And in terms of Levert's comment, of course you don't like it. This is a playoff series, dude. I know that you guys don't make these things uh, all the time, but it gets pretty nasty in the playoffs. LeBron is no stranger to kind of some gamesmanship when it comes to press conferences and making comments. That was going back, flying back and forth when he was playing the Warriors. In fact, Klay Thompson may have won the Cavs the finals by saying that they got their feelings hurt. We'll never forget that. But I do agree with Jewel real quick that I don't think they go far until they mature and grow up a little bit. Look, you got embarrassed on your home floor in game one. Cool, you won game two. But this series is still tied going to Brooklyn for two games. You don't have home court advantage back yet. You have to steal one in Brooklyn to get home court advantage back yet. And... If you don't steal one, you come back to Philly down 3-1. The job is far from over. Like, so far from over that I shouldn't see a smile on your face right now. Fair. There ain't nothing to laugh about. Yeah, like, stay focused. Like, come on. All right, guys. Charles Barkley said, This is the most important playoffs in Toronto's Raptors history. This could be a franchise-changing playoffs for them. Uh, I don't agree with much that Chuck Barkley's goofy behind says on TV, <laughs> but I agree with this one wholeheartedly. I'm immature. I'm laughing. <laughs> no, he's goofy. He's goofy. Let me, let me tell you something, Kenny. Let me tell you something, Kenny. Like, he's, he's goofy, but he was spot on with this one because this for the Raptors sets up the Raptors future. It sets up a future that can go to dismay if you lose Kawhi because you don't really have much of a backup or it can set you up for a lot of success down the road. If you make a deep playoff run and tell Kawhi, hey, you're better off here than anywhere else, it sets you up good for down the road. And this is why they made it defining for themselves. If you keep DeMar DeRozan and continue to build, then you don't have this problem. But the problem being is that you have to impress Kawhi Leonard. He's a huge part of your franchise now, and you committed to trying to court him over these this next season mm-hmm. to convince him to stay long-term. No one stays in Toronto long-term, or very few people have, which is why I think there was an outcry and so many people felt bad for DeMar DeRozan. He was one of the only guys who, was to do who <laughs> stuck with it and was like, Toronto's my home, I'm going to grow here. And they traded him. So I don't really uh, – I, I guess he is correct – this probably would be franchise changing if they lose and don't make the finals and Kawhi leaves, but they brought that upon themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. All right, guys. Magic Johnson says, I'm a free bird and was caged up. That was why I resigned. Now I'm free again. Magic Johnson is not speaking facts. That's not why he <laughs> resigned. 
okay? It's not. First of all, the way he did it was trifling, okay? I got a lot of trifling. Res- I got a lot of respect. <laughs> I got a lot of respect for Magic Johnson, one of the best NBA players of all time. Run of the mill GM, wasn't that? Or president of basketball operations, whatever you want to dress it up. He wasn't that good. LeBron was coming to LA with or without Magic. Pe- I don't know. Nah, pe- I don't people know about putting, that. People put LeBron came to LA for LeBron. LeBron didn't go to LA for anybody else. That wasn't Magic's doing. Okay, but the way Magic, Magic closed the deals, what I'll tell you, maybe, but is the- when he cut. Co- they well, he sat down with them. That's what I think. LeBron or Clutch Sports. I, don't, I forget who kind of talked about it, but alluded to Le- Magic was a big part in him going there. Like Le- okay, LeBron picked the Lakers over the Clippers, but I mean they- LeBron picked the Lakers because the Lakers are Showtime. That's Hollywood. The Clippers. No one associates the Clippers with. Hollywood and LA. See what I mean? I was talking about over the Sixers. Or anybody. But that, that's why LeBron chose LA. But going back to the magic point, like he was he's speaking facts in the terms of Magic had to temper Magic's personality a little bit. Magic wanted to be almost like the big brother, like older uncle type in the NBA that can give players free advice where they want to, kind of like let you know talk to them whenever like a mentor. Wants to what KG is doing. What Kevin Garnett is doing with KG, Area 21. Kobe, like he wants to be able to do all that, and he wasn't able to. But Magic, you have to know that going in. What? Like you have to, when you're associated with a franchise, you have to know that you can't advocate. Look for at other it from players. this lens, however, is that Genie Bus, who the Bus family, he says multiple times, pretty much any time he got to talk about him, is how much of a, it's a family. We love them. Obviously, he spent his career there. I think Genie kind of foisted this role upon him, where really all he wanted to be was like an ambassador. Someone who will go around, talk to the free agent, say, hey, it's great in Los Angeles. You could do X, Y, Z. Exactly what he said to LeBron James, making LeBron realize, you know what, this decision could be more than basketball. It could be to set up my future. He's a great person to talk about that with. And trying to have him sit in and be this professional, something that he's not, I think was a little unfair to Magic. However, the way that Magic handled it and resulting in this he called quote, it- calling himself a free bird. And then, and then oh. he called an impromptu press conference tweeted and told the media and Twitter before he told the owner of the team, before he told his boss the Twitterverse Look, knew and the media knew. We knew it was going to be exciting in L.A. when LeBron went there, but it was exciting for all the wrong reasons, and I feel like this is just the perfect cap on it in the last game of the year for him. To and when, and you know what's funny? An overlooked part of this is when they were going to go fire Luke Walton, I think they told Magic, you have to do it. And he was, he and he, that. and he was like, or he said, it's not my. I don't want that to be my. I don't decision. want that to be my decision. So I think they said, well, that is your decision. And he said, well, then fine, I quit. Like I think Magic really was like, I don't want to call him like a baby or call him like you know immature. He's being cast aggressive. He, is what he, was he being. really was. He, <laughs> yeah. he was. Magic was there, and he said it. I'm not having fun anymore. Magic was there and all right and ready for the job when it was fun. But the not fun parts of the job, the losing, the firing people, that have to answer to the media. I'll be there for both of them. I don't part think of the job. He wasn't prepared for it, and he doesn't want to be part of it anymore. And I'm sorry, Magic, but that's what comes with the job, man. It's all. It's not all day. You got to know what you're signing up for. The bridge yeah. now. I guess. Yeah. You think Rob Palenka can move the Lakers forward anymore, or they need to go get somebody they're, else? They're going to have him try. I don't know if he will. Well, but... LeBron is, for all intents and purposes, now the acting GM, <laughs> which is what he wanted all, all the whole time. All right, guys, speak one last fact to me. Mm. Saquon Barkley, last season, was not Eli Manning's fault. Whose was it? <laughs> Seriously. Like I can see the, the grimace guy, on your face. Pat, Pat Shermer, I guess, for keeping Eli Manning there. Uh, maybe it's not Eli's fault. I, I guess you could argue that the offensive line wasn't great, but then Saquon had a phenomenal year, which usually indicates a decent offensive line play. Look, I get that he's trying to defend his quarterback. It's very nice. He's a very humble kid. I mm. like him. You know, Penn State back. Good guy. 
Uh, he's also lying when he says it's not Eli straight Manning's up, fault. Straight up through his <laughs> teeth. So this this quote came from um, an interview with Taylor Rooks. Taylor Rooks from Bleach Report has this new series out called Take It There. And she goes to different athletes and asks, like, insightful and personal questions. And then got to talking about Eli. And you're right. He defended his quarterback. But, no, he's not speaking facts. It was, I don't want to say 100% Eli's fault, but you make up the point about the offensive line. Aaron Rodgers' offensive line is terrible. Tom Brady's offensive line is terrible. And Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. So, like, you can overcome a bad offensive line. They're not as bad as that. They're not as bad as the Giants' offensive line. But it was, I won't say it was Eli the player's fault. I would say it was the whole Giants organization's fault for having Eli well, We're going to find out there. this year. We're going to find out this year because supposedly they made all these trades, they're redesigning their team, and Eli's either going to do it or Eli's what do you not. Need to see? What do you need to see? They can redesign everything. They can redesign the stadium. Eli's still Eli. Well, continuity usually is best in the NFL. And if you can turn Eli around into just like what Big Ben has been the past two years where he's not – Maybe the flashiest guy, but he's in a high-power offense with a lot of weapons. He's aging. High-power, they traded away their best offensive weapon. No, Saquon is, is – if I had to choose, I'd give money to Saquon. And then on top of that, they bring in Golden Tate. You have Sterling Shepard, Evan Engram. You have a lot of guys who I think can do damage on the offensive side of the ball. But, again, it's going gonna, gonna to really come down to that quarterback position, and I think it will in end – come out to be Eli's fault, so to speak. Guys, Eli's best passer rating season of his career is lower than Phil Rivers' career passing rating. And That makes sense. I love Phil Rivers. I do, too. I'm a huge fan of Phil Rivers. <laughs> I don't even like Phil Rivers. Phil Rivers is overrated. Whatever. We're moving on from that know. because I almost strangled Jake just now for saying that. Phil Rivers is probably going to go down as one of the most underappreciated football players I hope ever. The Damian Lord Damian of the Lord from Stat Matt. Stat Matt. Stat Matt dropping Here's a gem. what I'm going to tell you. He is the not in the Hall of Fame of the NFL. Philip Rivers is 100% a Hall of Famer. No. Jewel, please move on because I can't. He's no. making me mad. He's making me mad. <laughs> All right, guys, we're heading to the countdown. Number five. Number five stands for the number of masters Tiger Woods has won. Now, Tiger Woods, and if you've never heard of this, like you live under a rock, Tiger Woods just just won the Masters. Um, he's three major championships away from passing Jack Nicholas. He could do two of them this year. So I think that Tiger Woods will end up as the greatest Great statistical do- Great story, statistical story. golfer of all time. Yep. All right, four. The number of games it took to eliminate the Tampa Bay Lightning, the team that set the NHL record for wins in a season. This is cringy because you come out and you face a team from Columbus, which they did, got totally blown out. I'd say Tampa Bay needs to get moved out of Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Lightning need to get moved out of Tampa Bay after that performance. Yeah, it's a very Tampa Bay-like team, right? It's having a huge lead and blowing it. That's you it. would know. It's gonna be. It's it's gonna go down as one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, playoff collapse in NHL history. Three. Number three is for the number of straight starts Aaron Nola has allowed five runs or more. All my Philly fans out there, I know we're hype on this team, but that's that's very worrisome. That's our ace right there, going out three straight times, letting up five runs. This team doesn't go without Aaron Nola. If Aaron Nola doesn't clean it up and get better, we're looking for a lackluster season yeah, by the Phillies. scary. Scary coming out the gates like that. Yeah, can't do it. Two. The amount of times there has been co-rookie of the years in the NBA, I believe it will be Three at the end of this season, Trey Young and Luka Doncic, I think they've earned it. 
Uh, I think I got to go with Trey Young just off the bat. I think he's doing much better uh, than Luka Doncic is a bigger part of his team. All right, guys, let's wrap it up with number one. Number one is the number of teams Tyron Lue has coached for in the NBA. That's just the Cleveland Cavaliers. He has a championship with them, and it's about the only thing that bothers me about LeBron is that he will seek out these kind of coaches just so he can manipulate them because apparently he's on the short list to land the Lakers job now. I wouldn't say he manipulated him, didn't Tyron Lue tell him to shut the F up, I've got this? I, I guess so, but you can't tell me that LeBron didn't do it his way when he was in Cleveland. He did. He always does. You know what I mean? And that's all we got to now. So we have anything to say at the buzzer? No? Julia, you're good. Jake, anything to say at the buzzer? Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram go. at straight, S-T-R-8-Facts, F-A-X. Mm-hmm. It's a little Aki, but that's okay. Yeah, we're working on that Twitter handle, by the way. <laughs> Uh, all I have to say at the buzzer is this was a great first show. Uh, we moved through it beautifully. I love all my team here. And you guys keep it locked here because Straight Facts is going to be coming at you with some heat in the very, very near future. But that's all we have for today's episode of Straight Facts. Big ups to Greg Barron, Kyle Sobieski, and Stat Matt Robinson behind the camera. For my partner, Jewel Schmitz. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. To my partner, Jake Galley. I'm James Jackson. And these have been the facts. Straight up.